Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's a privilege to open God's Word with you. We're going to be singing the doxology, not we. My congregation up there near Washington, D.C. will be singing the doxology tonight, but we do it a little differently at One Voice Fellowship. Uh, We sing it first in English, and then we sing it again in all the heart languages of the people in our congregation. And so you'll hear about 12 different languages simultaneously singing the doxology. And the first time my wife, uh, who can sing, I can't sing, but she can sing. The first time she heard it, she just wept as she heard all these nations singing praise to the one true God in all their heart languages. It's a foretaste of Revelation 7-9. One day when all nations, tribes, and tongues will worship together around the throne throughout eternity. So I just want to thank you for your church investing in our church plant uh, that is trying to uh, give a foretaste of that heavenly worship that we'll enjoy one day. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about our church uh, during the sermon, but uh, and there's some prayer magnets and some other material about our church on the table outside. Um, but my immediate task is not to talk about the church, but to open God's word for us today. So in today's sermon text, we're going to go back 2,000 years. We're going to go back to a time when the church of Christ was brand new, and we're going to see how the gospel first began to spread outward from Jerusalem, how it became more than a religion for Jews and their Jewish Messiah. Um, It's a story about Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Centurion was about the equivalent of an army captain uh, today. And Cornelius was a Gentile, but he was also a man of God, a man who feared God, it says. So, so that means he at least respected Judaism. He was seeking God. And in Acts chapter 10, right before today's text, you can read how Cornelius and Peter each had visions about one another. And so God told Peter to go see Cornelius, to go into his home and to eat with him. And those were two things that were forbidden for Jews to do, to go in a Gentile home and to eat with them. But then Peter had the opportunity to share the gospel with Cornelius and his family. So before I read the text, what I just want us to see is that God told Peter to do something very unusual. It felt wrong to Peter what God was telling him to do. And it was also hard for other people to understand what Peter had done. So, Peter has been called in Acts 11, he's been called back to Jerusalem to explain himself. The leaders of the church want him to explain why he had baptized Cornelius and his entire Gentile family. So, let's now read God's word from Acts chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. 
And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, (laughs) nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has repented, granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. God, thank you that you indeed have granted repentance that leads to life. Thank you that you drew this arrogant atheist to repentance so that I might see the Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you that you brought Gentiles, you brought people from every nation, tribe, and tongue into the covenant of grace, and you continue to do that work of grace in every corner of the globe. Thank you for the truth that the gospel makes no distinction, that any who will bow the knee and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior is a child of God. May we treat our brothers and sisters from around the world as our spiritual siblings, for that brings you great glory, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So if you like an outline, here's a three-point outline for you. We're going to first consider Peter's new understanding, second, Jesus the global Savior, and third, need, not comfort. So point one, Peter's new understanding. So Peter is explaining to the church leaders in Jerusalem that God had told him it's okay to go to Cornelius' house. And there was this group of Gentiles who were eager to hear Peter's message. Peter preached to them. He laid out the gospel of salvation, just as he would have explained it to any Jewish family. And Peter reported that the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us, he said. So Peter's referring to Pentecost. He's referring to that day when Jews from many nations all received the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was significant because ever since the Tower of Babel, 
all the people on earth had been separated by language. But on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and and enabled these Jews from many nations to understand Peter's sermon. That's why they could understand, so they could hear the gospel and they could trust in Christ. Now, languages continue to divide us. Maybe you've traveled overseas and you've had that experience where you're trying to communicate with someone who speaks a different language, and it can be really difficult. And so language can often be like a fence that separates people. So that's why at our church we have found ways to make a gate through that language fence. We provide translation of the sermon and the scripture readings at our church into 15 languages every week. Uh, The sermons are first translated with an artificial intelligence software that's about 90% accurate. And then we have Christian editors who edit that translation. They're around the world. And these editors in Pakistan and Turkey and Venezuela, etc., they edit it to make sure it's theologically accurate. Um, A few months ago, we had an Afghan refugee family. We've had 10,000 Afghans have moved into northern Virginia. And every week, there's a handful of them in our church. Um, Not believers yet, um, but they come because they can understand the gospel. And we had a um, a man and woman from Afghanistan sitting in the second row right here. And uh, the wife was following along on the tablet. And every sentence I said in English she could read in Dari on the tablet. And I know she doesn't speak much English at all, but I could see her nodding. And I was preaching on creation. And so I said in the sermon, I said, God made man and woman equal in value and dignity. And this Afghan Muslim woman was like startled to hear that. And then she elbowed her husband. She pointed equal in value and dignity. And I was encouraged that she got that point because then I knew that when I explained the gospel, she would be able to read it. That despite the significant language and cultural barriers that exist between this Afghan family and my family, that the gospel could be communicated. So when those kind of experiences help me try to imagine what Peter felt like as he walked into Cornelius' home. Different culture, different people. And he's sharing the gospel with somebody who is far outside the family of God, at least to the way that Peter understood the family of God. And Peter got to see that as he communicated the gospel, that even these people could respond with understanding and faith. But before Peter could ever get in that room, God had to convince Peter that it was okay to go, to even see Cornelius. And Peter does not change his mind easily, right? We know that from Peter as we look through the gospel. But there's a clear development in Peter that we're going to see a little bit of today. As we read through the New Testament, we see that Peter progressively moves from self-confidence to Christ-confidence, Peter was once a man who thought that success came about because of bold action, because of his significant personal gifts, because of his sharp mind and his courageous heart. 
Jesus loved Peter enough to break him of his self-confidence. It was a gift. It was good that Peter learned his weakness. Peter had to learn that he really loved his own skin and safety more than Jesus before the crucifixion. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And that experience is part of Jesus' gift to Peter to break him of his self-confidence. Before God can use anyone in really significant ways, he always will break us of our pride and our self-reliance. He did it for me. I'm grateful for him breaking. So don't resist him, friends. If the Lord is showing you your sin or your weakness in a new way, it is his gift to you. He's showing you that you can and must depend more on him and less on yourself. Because after he breaks us down, he rebuilds us in his image. He rebuilds us with a faith like we never had before. You know, we see how Jesus restores Peter to ministry after the resurrection and then commissions Peter to go and preach the gospel. And that's where we now see Peter, right? He's... He's in the city of Joppa. Joppa, by the way, is the same place where Jonah was told to bring God's word to a Gentile city. And Jonah didn't obey, did he? Jonah gets on a boat and goes the opposite direction. So now in the same city, Peter hears almost the same message. Take the word of God to the Gentiles. What's Peter going to do? Peter has a habit of saying no to God. Remember when Jesus was about to wash Peter's feet and Peter said, no, you can't do that. So in Acts 10, when the Lord said, had to say three times to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's first response is no, Lord. So what was it about this command to kill and eat? that caused such a reaction in Peter, to to actually refuse what God was telling him clearly to do. These kosher laws don't seem like a big deal maybe to us. So maybe this is the closest thing I can describe to try to get ourselves into Peter's mindset. Imagine you go to a barbecue this afternoon. I, I smoke a lot of ribs and brisket on my big green egg back home. I don't I know Texas brisket is king. North Carolina loves what did, what do you smoke in Mississippi? Is there a, is there one meat in particular? I don't know what what's popular here. All right. Well, imagine you go to a barbecue this afternoon. You're at your cousin's house. And he points out over there on the grill and he says, "Yeah, on that grill we got a couple of dogs. And on that one we got a few cats on the smoker." So grab a plate dig in. Doesn't that just sound wrong? Do you you get a little twist in your stomach as you think about barbecued dog and cat? My intent is not to ruin your lunch appetite, but to give us a sense of what Peter felt when God told him to eat meat that was forbidden, right? This is more than disliking broccoli, kids, 
right? Peter felt a deep disgust in his stomach when God told him to eat these animals. But it was about more than food, about much more than food. The Jews were not only prohibited from eating certain foods, they were prohibited from eating anything with Gentiles. They were prohibited from going into their homes. And so the vision that Peter received was not really about accepting new foods. It was about accepting people. The Holy Spirit was teaching Peter to not exclude himself from fellowship with certain people. Because before the gospel could spread around the entire world, Peter had to overcome his discomfort and disgust for certain people. So, point two, Jesus the global Savior. The the conversion of Cornelius and his family teaches a critical lesson to Peter and the early church, that God was canceling all of these kosher laws and ceremonial regulations because the purpose for which they'd been established had been accomplished. See, the kosher laws were like a fence to separate God's people from their neighbors, from the people who worshipped false gods. But then Jesus came to earth not to abolish those laws, but to fulfill them. And Jesus provided a new gate in that fence. Jesus said in John 10:9, I am the gate. And if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Jesus didn't say you can get through the gate by obeying certain laws. He didn't say you could get through the gate by being born a Jew and therefore also being born in a Christian home does not save you, does not get you through the gate. Jesus said you must enter through faith in me. I am the gate. Jesus also said he's the temple, the bread of life, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of these different images had the same message. Jesus was communicating, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The point is that the most obedient Jew could not be saved except through faith in Christ. And the worst Gentile could not be excluded from the kingdom if he trusted in Jesus. God's plan all along was to make one nation one people group from those around the world. God told Isaiah 49.6, it is too small a thing, Isaiah, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And that light of salvation began to spread globally when Jesus, the light of the world, came to earth. People saw in Jesus a heart for outsiders, for outcasts. That's the reason why people were drawn to Jesus. Think about the people who were drawn magnetically to Jesus. Lepers, children, women, Samaritans, Gentiles. 
He exercised a demon from a Gentile girl. When he fed the 4,000, it was in a Gentile area called the Decapolis. My point is that from the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ involved an outward-looking, stranger-seeking kind of love. The gospel should motivate in us an outward-looking, stranger-seeking kind of love. Because to Jesus, it doesn't matter if you were a hard-partying fraternity boy like me, if you were a Samaritan woman, a tax collector, a Roman soldier, or an arrogant knucklehead like Peter. Jesus said, you are all welcome in my kingdom, all who come through the name of Jesus are welcome. The name of our church, One Voice Fellowship, comes from Romans 15, 5 to 7. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. So how did Christ welcome you? It was a proactive, stranger-seeking kind of welcome. The welcome of Jesus is an active welcome. It's not a passive welcome. Jesus was safe and comfortable up in heaven. He didn't have to come down here to face rejection, torture, and murder. Jesus could have sat up there in heaven and said, hey, any of you who want to come up here and enjoy heaven with me and the Father and the Holy Spirit, just obey all the laws. We've given you a way. We've given you a path. Just obey the laws and come. But that's not good news, is it? That's not good news. Jesus gave us a proactive welcome. He came to us. Imagine if Peter responded to this vision by sending a letter to Cornelius and said, if, if this Gentile wants to hear the gospel, he can come to me. He can come into my home, right? Peter could have required Cornelius to be circumcised, to become Jewish before he could become a Christian. But the gospel that saved Peter was a proactive gospel. Jesus actively welcomed Peter and pursued him. And so Peter's the one who made himself uncomfortable. Peter's the one who moves toward Cornelius to welcome him, just as Jesus had welcomed Peter. The gospel is what fuels our understanding of everything, friends. That Jesus loved you enough to leave his safety and comfort in heaven. That he set his face toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, to save you. That he would leave the 99 and seek you. And then the good shepherd threw you over his shoulders. And he brought you into his fold. He brought us home. And then he says, I'm going to make you a new creation. I'm going to cleanse your heart. And I'm going to make you one more stone in the household of worship that I'm building. It's a household that's made of all different stones, as Peter writes about in 1 Peter 2. 
It's a household that includes people of every tribe, language, and nation worshiping together. In the neighborhood where One Voice Fellowship worships, 80% of elementary school students don't speak English at home. All the nations have come into the neighborhood. One of the largest mosques in Northern Virginia is four blocks from our church. So the apartment complexes are full of Muslim neighbors from many countries. And every week in our worship service, we have people from Pakistan and Iran and Afghanistan people who probably would never meet a Christian or hear the gospel in their home countries. The first man we baptized was a Muslim man who was tortured in prison by his government back home. And the Lord continues to bring him and other unreached people into our community. So the church's mission is to take the gospel to the nations and to people of all kinds. And sometimes God does that by sending missionaries overseas, which is beautiful. But the mission field is often also right where we are today. And to do that, God has to call us out of our comfort zones. So point three, need not comfort. If you keep reading in Acts 11 you'll see that the church grew in a Gentile city called Antioch. And that's the city where the first Christians, first people were called Christians, and they were Gentile believers, first called Christians. And it's out of Antioch that Paul and Barnabas went on their church planting journey. They weren't sent from Jerusalem. They were sent from the Gentile city of Antioch. And very soon as the gospel spreads, Gentile Christians outnumber the Jewish believers who first heard the gospel. But before that could happen, before the boundaries of God's tent could expand, Peter had to go see Cornelius. Peter had to do some things that were difficult. If if you and your family decide to go overseas as missionaries you know that you're going to enter into someone else's culture and customs, right? If you go to Mongolia or Thailand or Ethiopia, you're going to eat different foods. You're going to experience things that make you uncomfortable sometimes. But you know that. Before you go overseas, you count the cost. Peter hesitates. Peter hesitates when he sees this vision, which I think I would have also. Because we all avoid discomfort, don't we? We naturally avoid discomfort. John Piper said, to be a Christian is to move toward need, not comfort. To be a Christian is to move toward need, not comfort. And I find that very convicting because I like to be comfortable. I like to feel safe. But remember, what I just said about Jesus, who left the comfort and safety of heaven. He was drawn into a place of discomfort, persecution, and pain. And what drew him? Your need. It was your need that drew him. Cornelius needed to hear the gospel. But Peter had to get uncomfortable before Peter would hear it. Peter had to eat food. 
he would never dream of eating. He had to enter into a home he would never dream of entering. We had a Chinese woman come to faith um, late last year. And a week after she became a believer, my wife Naomi and I went to celebrate with her and a Chinese family in our church. And there were about 10 different dishes on the table. And our new sister in Christ brought some special foods that she wanted to share with us. Um, She brought pig ear and duck tongues. And my amazing wife cheerfully grabbed the chopsticks and started eating duck tongues and pig ear. And I was proud of her because Naomi understood that she might experience a little discomfort eating this, but it showed respect and honor to our new sister in Christ. Peter had to experience some discomfort to build a bridge of relationship with someone outside of God's family. Because Peter was called to welcome as Christ had welcomed him. So a question for you to pray about. Do we love people around us enough that we're willing to face discomfort or even ridicule from other people in order to extend a welcome to them. I'm sure Peter was wondering if people saw him walking into this Gentile home, right? And remember why he is in Jerusalem in Acts 11. He's there because the the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem called him on the carpet and said, Peter, explain yourself. What have you done? Do you ever avoid certain people because you're afraid of what other people might say? Is there a difficult person at work? Is there a lonely, isolated kid at your school? Who are the strangers around you? Who are the people who are isolated and marginalized? How could you welcome them as Christ welcomed you. See, God's word is calling all of us to move outside of our comfort zones for the sake of the gospel. But when we do that, we can be confident that the Lord is going with us and that it's his message, not our message that we're carrying. And we're not going to get it right all the time. We are going to stumble and fail. Peter continues to struggle with this issue even after his experience with Cornelius. Peter's still learning. Sometime after Cornelius becomes a Christian, we read that Peter was in Antioch. And there were some brothers who came from Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. And when they showed up, Peter stopped eating with the Gentile Christians. He, was, he still didn't get the lesson completely. Peter was worried about what other people might think of him. And Paul noticed this, and he confronted Peter. And Paul writes in Galatians 2.14, he says that Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Peter had forgotten. Peter had forgotten that the power of the gospel applied even to the simple act of sharing a meal with Gentile believers. I love this three-word summary of the gospel. God saves 
sinners. It's the simplest way to explain the gospel. We cannot save ourselves. We are chosen and resurrected and given eternal life as a free gift by God's sovereign choice. And what that means is that God had chosen and saved those Gentile believers in Antioch just as surely as he had saved Peter. So when Peter pulled away from Christian fellowship with his brothers and sisters because he was afraid of spoiling his reputation, Peter was denying the gospel. He was denying the power of the gospel to save those Gentiles and make them his brothers and his sisters. But friends, we worship the God of second chances, third chances, fourth, etc. After that experience of Antioch, Peter continues to grow and learn. Peter wrote a letter to Gentile believers some years after that. And I'm going to finish by reading these verses where we can see that Peter learned, he continued to learn that no matter where we are from, regardless of culture or cuisine or language, we can all be fellow citizens in God's kingdom through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter wrote, and then I'll pray. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. He wrote this to Gentile Christians. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, that applies to us, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you help each of us see that we are not the people of God because of our righteousness, because of our nationality, because of our family background. Each one of us were strangers. Each of us were walking in darkness. But you called each of us into your marvelous light. And so we know that God shows no partiality, that he can bring into his kingdom anyone who confesses their need for the cleansing blood of Jesus. So Jesus, help us see one another at the heart level, to see that we are siblings if we're trusting in Christ. We may have different skin colors and accents and food preferences, but we have the same big brother. We have the same father. Let us live out the unity that Jesus died to create in our school, in our workplace, and especially in your church for which Christ died to make us one family of God. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.